0: The title of our sermon this morning is The Lord Has Brought True Joy. The Lord has brought true joy. This morning's sermon comes from Isaiah, the 55th chapter, 12-13 verse. That's the last two verses of that chapter, where we said it was an open invitation at the beginning of the chapter where he invited not just all of Israel, but all of mankind under salvation. We, we have to look at the broad theme of the verse, of the chapter, and bring it into proper context. Because I've heard a lot of people preaching on this verse, and it's a really a, a, a strong chapter, strong verses there. But it says, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills that break forth before you into singing, and all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir trees, and instead of the brier tree, the brier shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, an everlasting sign." that shall not be cut off. It's like the Sabbath day. That day we'll see next week, starting next week in the 56th chapter, that that day is a sign. The Sabbath is a sign. and here It says His name as an everlasting covenant. And studying for this chapter, this verse, this week, I've been listening for the last couple of weeks examining joy and only God can give true joy, and I was telling you that we would talk about joy this week because joy is not a direct synonym of being happy. A Happiness is not a direct synonym with joy. Joy is something much more grander than happiness. It's much more grander than happiness. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The world and we all experience joy, but the angels rejoicing and being glad and triumphant at one sinner that repented. We've heard of that. So we hear rejoicing there, that rejoicing that the angels do it's not as the world and it's not a carnal rejoicing because I thought I could have joy and rejoicing, but it was only carnal. It was carnal and I didn't really could lay hold of a true joy because a true joy is internal. True joy and God says he'll give you joy and peace that the world cannot take away. And when David talks about restore the joy of his salvation, we see a restoration of something that he had once before, that he did know of joy. And I was telling you about the angels rejoicing wasn't the same as joy and being rejoiceful because the angel doesn't know a loss of joy. They don't know a loss of joy and those of us, we're not asking him for restoration of our joy. we asking him for joy. He only he can give true joy because, like I said, a joy that God gives is internal and not external. Yes. It doesn't depend upon our circumstances. Whereas the joy of the world and happiness is dependent upon circumstances. And we've begun that chapter when he says, Hold he that is thirsty... Uh, Let him come and drink of the waters. And that had no money, come by and eat. Come by with wine and milk without money and without price. It talks about bread and eating of the table and the Lord himself being a light. So that's an invitation to salvation. That salvation, when God brings salvation, he brings true joy. And it says... The joy of the Lord is my strength So that ties in with Put on thine strength The Lord is thine strength But we see here that it's not saying The strength of the Lord And about God's strength It's about our strength It says the joy of the Lord is our strength You see that joy of the Lord is our strength That's where we're strong at And it's joy and joy goes out. Aren't you joyful when you see others saved, when you see others living in a good condition? But that joy is a, a well-earned joy. It's a not an earned joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and that joy can grow. That's a fruit of the Spirit. I told you, it's gross. So it's sometimes dependent upon us because we can quench or lose joy to the st- extent that it dulls it. We can dull or blunt that joy. That's why David says to restore unto him the joy of his salvation. See, because you can lose or dull your joy, but you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Because those that God had determined to give Christ from the foundations of the world... He had predestinated those to conform to His image and likeness. To None of them will be lost. But we see children from time to time, children of God, in different spiritual states and conditions, and that goes along with forming character in the image and likeness of God. It says, For you will go out... From exile with Joan be led forth by the Lord himself with peace. The mountains and hills was break forth and the shouts of joy before you and all the trees of the fear will clap their hands. And I talked about it in Bible study this week about when the guy was saying that was could only be experienced by Israel because God was talking about the captives in Babylon the restoration of the captives of Babylon. But I'll tell you prophecy can be dual sometime. Prophecy is dual. In other words, it had an application to them then. But there's a present day application to us. Because we are in Babylon. Babylon is the world. But Babylon of the world and we look only as far as revelation. So the first point here is salvation. When he invites all of them. He that is athirst, he is hunger. Let him come unto him and drink, and and drink of this water, and buy without money, without price. That he freely offers his salvation to the Gentiles, plus a restoration of salvation to those that are lost, or to those that are backslidden, or in a backslidden state that hadn't been with the church, or that has kind of lost some of the joy, lost that some of that salvation, that re, re, a refreshing of what God had started them out. Because a lot of times people get in a kind of a backslidden state where they get away from the church and get away from following God, not reading and studying the Bible as they used to, are not as energetic toward the Bible as they won't used to and that's the one a lot of times they go to a revival you hear a revival when people say they're refreshed or whatever and that's a, a emotion a feeling of joy you see a lot of them it's exhilarated that's one of the words you want to use there for joy as a feeling a feeling of happily or refreshed and energetic enlivened and made joyful or gleeful or Full of spiritual delight and jovial, a jovial spirit. All of those are different types of joy, aspects of joy. But God is looking for us, just like it with Jesus Christ, a more even keel. I want to close with that as conclusion. A well-balanced Christian, a well-balanced child of God has an even keel to himself. So a lot of times you ask, people ask me, how was your day? I said, about the same. Mm-hmm. Because we want to have balance in our lives. Yes. Our lives from one day to another, we growing in joy, growing in maturity, and the aspects of spiritual maturity. But Revelations 18 and 4 says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partaker of, of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plague. Those plagues and sins that we could be partakers of are joy killers. Those are things that can steal our joy by being unequally yoked. Being in the world and associations of the world and the mistakes and the things that we do in the world. And David loved and he says he was a man after God's own heart. It's he a man after God's heart. Love doing that which pleasing God. and that's what Christians, people that are born again, people that are of God's people, they delight in pleasing God, as Jesus Christ says, "The delight to do thy will, that we look forward for doing things for God, that's where we get our strength from. That's, that's what makes us feel good. That, that makes you feel good way down inside. That, that's what I say. That's a spirit working its way out into the exterior. Yes. You know, some people, they do outward things. and It's self doing these things. But when you come out of the world and, and receive this invitation that God has given you, when this light come unto you, it's from turning from the world, the toil and the rigor of this world, and God Himself gives you a unique uh, new joy that you had never experienced before. It's not like a roller coaster ride with its ups and downs. We've been liberated from the bondage of this world. So now we, we, we no longer, now God tells us things to do not to get tired of, of, of back in bondage of this world. And some go back and get in bondage to this world and find ourselves like the man that had left, had cleansed all the the devils out, kicked them out or whatever, but didn't put anything back into himself, didn't continually being filled with the Spirit, and seven worse demons came in. That's when a Christian could become vexed. Saul was vexed by an evil spirit this vexed them and had to listen at music to soothe them or whatever and there's a lot of people get busy with being busy and that that's the thing about work we can't be saved by works that's why we enter into his rest that's what the Sabbath is a sign of entering into God's rest into the rest of Jesus Christ that they that enter into his rest you see because we're not working for salvation salvation is a faith that works but that's what we enjoy doing we don't get tired you know i could preach seven days a week but i do that rest that seventh day reminds me of the creator and that he had given me that's why i say if you do the work that god had created you to do it's what you don't need money god didn't start this thing with money so that's why it says come by, you don't need money, you don't need price or whatever because you, I would preach and you know I've been preaching for a while you know sometimes these preachers and things preach for a high salary like a football player or actors and they got the car strike now the union workers for the big three automotives are striking and the writers are striking or whatever those jobs are dependent upon salaries and things but the work that God given us to do, we could do that for nothing. In other words, when we find what God given us to do, it's part of it's who we are. It defines us. It's our character. Yes. That's like I said. Some people work and work and without working, they dry up and die. They, when they lose their job, it's like they didn't lost their life. But if you connect it to God, if you connect it to Jesus Christ. The job or what you're doing don't define you. It's God that defines you. That's why I say He gives you His joy. Yes. That's your strength. That's what keeps you going. The joy of the Lord. That's inherent in you then. That becomes a part of who you are. Yes. A faith that has works. A faith without works is a dead faith. But this born again, this spirit that He gives you, this salvation, He gives you. So. We were exiled into this world. We are lost. We were exiled into this world by our father Adam. We were all in Adam, but we were bought by this back by the second man Adam. He purchased us. He redeemed us. He, he restored us to a pristine condition. We've been regenerated. We've been born again. That's why we see here that 13 verse. Look at that when it says, Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name. In other words, we see a reversal of creation here. Yeah. We see a reversal of the thorns and thistles and the briars. Also, this you know they, they go back and, uh, and they look at this as a metaphor of us as human beings. Beings as, as people of God, instead of the carnal man bringing forth self ambition, self pleasures, and things of self, it's all God would we become a spiritual man? We become to bring forth good fruit, as in Galatians, the fifth chapter, we start producing the fruit of the spirit instead of the works of the flesh. Yes. The fruit of the spirit, kindness, gentleness, love peace, patience, all of these other things that's fruit of the Spirit, but others that are producing works of the flesh. We see that Paul talks about those that are under the works of the flesh. So he start. we see where Paul starts redefining what joy is in that fifth chapter of Galatians. Yes. What is importance, the importance of the continence, of our continence, because... Coming to the spiritual realm, our continence has a lot to do with our attitude toward God, prayers, worship, and every other thing. There are times we pray about certain things, and even after prayers, we keep carrying the same heavy faces. We're still down. It seems though the problem hadn't been solved. Our continence portrays either your faith in God... A lack of faith, a doubting God. If you pray, when you pray and pray yourself through, and you're in connections with God, you know that He heard your prayer. So you go away rejoicing, knowing that He heareth our prayer. Whether He answered the way we want Him to answer it or not, we rejoice that we have a God that we know He hear our prayers. He's hearing us. Yes. It's not dependent upon we getting what we ask for. We knoweth we have the petition we request of Him for we keep His commandments. We are walking in obedience. That's why He saved that. That's why He said we shall come with joy and singing and peace, this everlasting covenant, a sign of obedience to God. We obeying and walking in God because we learn to be content as with such that we have, but there are things that we may ask God for and Jesus tells us anything you ask the Father in his name that he'll do. But we may be asking miss. We may be asking for the same why So we may have trials and tribulations. We have things that need to be fine-tuned. That's why we're in constant communication with God. We're in constant communication with God. Cain's countenance when they offered up sacrifice unto God. Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice than Cain did. Yes. Now that's where you know I, I, I'm kind of touch you with this offering, this sacrificial offering or whatever, because I don't think it it was in what Cain offered. A lot of people say Cain didn't offer the proper sacrifice that. He offered the fruit, the, the labor of his hands, the fruit of the field, or whatever. Whereas Abel offered the blood, but because Abel was a a herdsman. He had those sacrifices. Cain, I don't know if he had animals to sacrifice or not. But we see, I think I can see the problem with Cain's offering was his continence. He says, "Why should continence rot?" He says, if you do well, your sacrifice will be accepted. So it was in the manner he was offering unto God. Yes. You see, he might have been already anticipating or thinking about doing away with Abel, with killing Abel or whatever. It says, God love a cheerful giver. Yes. So if, if you will give to God, you remember I told you about the continence and joy... It's not dependent upon how uh, or what you're giving. Is that you come in and you throw the money in there. You give God the money. You love giving God. You love reciprocating back unto God that that you have. You give unto God. But see, Cain, I don't know, he might have gave grudgingly. He might have not been open-hearted. Because it says, why about he asked about the continence? When does a sad continence or heart make do so? Enter into the presence of God with joy and thanksgiving. It's not right. And that, that attitude or that continence carry to other people, it carry around with you. We'll see that when Nehemiah was in the presence as the cupbearer in the presence of the king, the king looked up and asked, Why was he sad? That sad continence because coming before the king was a sad continence with the wrong disposition or whatever, it could cause you your life. You wasn't supposed to be that way in the midst and before the king. Coming before God, we shouldn't come before him in certain ways unless there's attachment with it. Now, that's what I said. The continence was there. So we see the sad continence makes... Makes the heart better sometimes when we see when the king asked Nehemiah what was wrong. Nehemiah wasn't re- dejected and sad because of himself. It wasn't because he didn't have any money. That he didn't have way of, of, of the problem with self pleasure. He wasn't having any funny anything. He said he was sad because Jerusalem, his hometown, was in tatters. It was in ruin. Are we upset and sad because the church is not full and flowing, that our children are not attending, and that the community and the neighbors and things are that the world is not, that, that the state and the condition of the world, because we see in Ezekiel it says, put a seal on those and mark those that mourn inside for the things that are being done in the earth and the world. So that's a condition that we should be, in a, the condition of the world our continence and our mourning and sadness should be for the state of the condition of the world that's not being self-centered that's thinking of others we see where Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 7 chapter third through 8 verse he says sorrow is better than laughter for by a sad continence the heart is made better the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of, of the wise man for a man to he, than for a man to hear the songs of fools. That's what you were saying today. You able to take criticism of constructive criticism and listen at once what's going on. We see here where it says Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that mourn. See, it, it's according to what's going on here. See, that's why I say you can have joy and mourn. We know Hannah, when she was praying or whatever, and Eli, he be not being spiritual, he was confused, and he said that she was drunken, and she wasn't drunk, but she was offering up petition unto God. Her heart was broken. See, that's what God's looking for a broken and a contrite, hardened spirit. That, that, that's the one He's looking to repair. Not those that's joyfully, gladly, in folly and, and enjoying themselves, tailgating and doing all these other things, and look, looking at the oppressed in the nation, the poor, the rejected, those without in the things that's going on. So we have to see. Why is the heart in this condition? Because, like I said, the joy—it's not gone now. Those the, those are the ones that are born again. Inside, you can be You're joyful, you it, joyful. It's not a, a state, as I tell you. The second point: laboring in toil. We're all subjected to life under the sun. We're all that's what. Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes all this vanity and vexation of spirit but we see signs of God getting through to Solomon and Solomon saying that all of this is vanity and vexation of spirit until we come and start communicating and understanding about God in these things until we bring God into these things But as I was saying our first father, our forefather Adam, he subjected us. He caused these things. The whole of creation waited for the manifestations of the sons of God. That's what the book of Romans says. That's why it says here that the mountains, it says, The mountains shall be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall clap Break forth before you into seeing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Like I said, this is figurative language. You can look at it in a literal sense if you want to think. You see a mountain clapping and, and trees clapping. and You know, you can say, well, in a sense, we can see these things. But I think he's talking about mankind here. I think he's talking about creation budding and bringing forth. Creation is revitalized. We see in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah a re-creation, a second creation at this second exodus. The second exodus is us coming out of the world, coming out of Babylon, being born again, having this joy. And he says it's going to be an everlasting joy, everlasting peace. It's an everlasting covenant because it's tied to God's sabbath day the God of creation it's tied to God we're entering into his rest this is something that God's doing he's birthing us again his spirit he's the light of the world he's reviving and he's saving those that were lost but he's also bringing in the Gentiles he's bringing in the Syria the Ethiopian. he's bringing in all men that were subject unto Adam because If we look back in Genesis, it says, Then to Adam the Lord said, Because you've listened attentively to the voice of your wife and eaten of the fruit of the tree, about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, the ground is not cursed because you, and in sorrow and toil you shall eat the fruit of it all the days of your life. Mm -hmm. You see the table that we're eating of there. But notice I told you in salvation he invites us to another table that we don't toil. We don't labor to eat of this table. He says come eat without money, without price. This is a salvation that God's giving. Not that Satan brought about because it was Satan through his craftiness and his cunningness that got us to disobey God. To walk away from God and He says. God knows that the day you eat of that tree. You see, when God invites us to a feast, when God invites us to eat, there are blessings and joy everlasting. Whereas when they ate of this tree, when they ate of this fruit that God had told them not to, it brought about curses. It brought about death. It brought about them being exiled away from their homes in a pristine garden that... God it says keep and dress and you may eat freely and it brought them into bondage of sin, sickness and plague and when he calls us out of Babylon he says that you be not partakers of their plagues and their sicknesses. That's why sin brings joy. Sin brings misery. Sin brings all of these things Whereas God's inviting us to come and eat of his table. The table is set. The table is set bread, wine, meat Anything that you can partake of. Yes. It says. Both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face. You will eat bread until you return to the ground. For from it you were taken. And for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. <clears throat> so we see just how David's sin got ruined. We see how man has been ruining from that time on forth, that he was sentenced to toil. He was sentenced to the sweat of his brow. But before this, work must have been pleasurable because God had gave him a job to till the ground, to keep and dress the garden. But it was only afterwards of man's disobedience that God says, cursed is the ground for your sake. Toil! Now you go and by the sweat of your brow. That's why I say work wasn't supposed to be hard. These hundred and some degree days where we sweating and laboring at everything. Work was supposed to be something that you have a joy of getting up in them. You know, I miss my physical job that I used to do. Getting up, going to work at Southern Livestock Supply. I, I, I really loved it to do that. Just like now, I love to preach, I love to teach, I love to help people. I, you know, God got the work to kinks out of me. You know, sometimes people may hear me murmuring and complaining or whatever, but those are foibles of the flesh that I know are works of the flesh that God has to purge out of me. That, those are joy steals. Those suck the joy right on out of me. Those things and a root of bitterness comes up All of those things And those things we know one of these days God's going to get rid of all of those things But by obedience to his word We're doing these things That's what we're doing By obeying his word Walking there Eating of his table Eating the word of God Man shall not live by bread alone But by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God So now as I eat of his table As I eat of the word of God, that inner man lives and that joy is expressed when I could resist the flesh. I mortify the deeds of the flesh. I can walk by those greasy things because it's not God that's being hostile to us. Even though we're in a physical body, if we look at the law of tithes and offerings that God tells us with the tithes and offerings, he says... You take this money that's put aside for your tithes and offerings. And he said, you go to the city or the place. If it's too far for you, do it right here at the home or wherever you're at. But eat, buy what you want and enjoy it. Eat it. In other words, the feast of the harvest. Yes. So he says, eat that which is good. Give it to the priest and those around you. Invite the neighbors and the sojourners to eat and rejoice in that. So while the people out this morning in a carnal way, those are temporal joys and happiness, whereas if we were doing it in a godly way, it would be lasting joy and happiness. It wouldn't be a self-centeredness of eating food and drink that could not last. It won't last because it was carnal. Jesus says he has food that we know not of. That's the true satisfaction. Webster defines joy as a condition of feeling of high pleasure or delight, happiness (coughs) or gladness. Happiness or gladness. But this, after a few glasses of wine or a nipple of Jack Daniels, we can be in a condition of high pleasure. But this is a temporary effect, not the type of joy we seek. We want to be drunk with the spirit. Yes. Yes. You remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, These men not drunk with wine now. We want to be filled with the Spirit. That spirit intoxicating to us. It says, be filled with the Spirit. That's the joy we seek. We won't have a hangover the next day. We won't get sick and throw up from it. When you see these people passing out and all this sling in the spirit and everything, uh, it may be some other spirit thing that you're working with here. This high, this intoxication, this joy of the spirit, it's an inward joy. Not necessarily expressed. Notice I said not necessarily expressed outwardly, but it's being content. It's It's in the Lord carnal joy is temporary because it's based in self-centeredness. A lot of times the wife is happy with the husband. They do things at home or whatever because he's paying, he's supplying monetarily or whatever. They're doing away with the old marriage vows and everything where it says for rich or for poor because some of us are not too joyful and happy if the husband broke or if we broke or we don't have that much and sickness and health. You know, I was talking with a relative of mine about a minister who used to help me and led me and, and, and helped me do things in the ministry and taught me some of the things at funerals and conducted things because I didn't go to a seminary or whatever. So some of these things was learned from other individuals that God helped and put there, helping make man in his image and his life. It was touching and hurtful when I found out that he was in sickness and that his wife had been helping him doing these things or whatever. And my heart went out to him because how many of us nowadays stick with the spouse, uh, stick with the relatives and things in sickness and health? A lot of them, they've gone on about their business. When somebody, they even now divorce with, for no reason at all, irreconcilable differences or whatever. But God says, an everlasting covenant. These things are united. It's not about what you can do for me, uh, you know, the earning capacity. Some people say, get rid of him. He won't do this or do that. Canality brings temporary joy and happiness. So you happy with that new car for a while. Man, she's enthralled her husband and went out and bought this new car. You see it at Christmas time and everything. They're buying one another this. But a month or two later, that joy of happiness is gone. That old car, it's time for us to get another car. That refrigerator, that old refrigerator, that, that old furniture, those old clothes, all these things. Now it's... The joy and happiness gone. Well, he didn't gain weight. She didn't gain weight. She looked like this. Time didn't pass. Oh, that's my soulmate over there. That's somebody else. You see, the joy and happiness of that day of marriage is gone by. The happiness and enthrallness with that child or with whatever it was, it was only temporary. It wasn't lasting. It wasn't a permanent joy that God had given. Solomon is urging us to enjoy the time of the day of our youth because when God is neglected, the capacity for having joy in one's life is diminished. In other words, your marriage didn't get better as y'all got older because now he's in his 50s or 60s and she's at about the same age as him and now he wants to buy a new sports car or something, uh, some pleasure-seeking thing, and he wants some 25 or 30-year-old woman to enjoy that with. That the joy he had, he's dealing treacherously with the wife of his youth. Yes. That woman that he stood there and joy, in love, the love is gone. They do that to Jesus. He says, you've left your first love. Yes. You know, when you first join the church and you first... Found out about Jesus. You couldn't wait to tell somebody about him. You couldn't wait to get to church. He was always at Bible study. You was there early. But now they have to go looking for you and find out why you wasn't there. You're making excuses for not being there. You used to be there 10 or 15 or 20 minutes early, but now you're coming in. The sermon's almost over with. The teaching is nonexistent if you're there. In other words, the bottom's falling out The joy and happiness All of the newness have worn off of these things Self-indulgence leads to excessive striving Yet for more worldly pleasures That's why pornography Alcohol, smoking Any of these things gambling They become addictive You can't get that first high again You can't get that honeymoon back again But if it's not about the sex, if it's about true love an individual, that marriage grows better with age. You know and understand one another better. So it wasn't just about that, that the joy and the love of that woman or husband lasts throughout the years. Are we understanding that we have to watch the addiction for those Whose chief aim in life is sensual pleasure, there's never enough to satisfy. Self indulgence can lead to full blown addiction. You have some people can't stop buying lottery tickets, can't stop doing doing certain things or whatever. They can't. They didn't brought these music and thing into the church. In other words, that's the life that they live. Now it always has to be a festival, and I was reading this thing about the music in the church nowadays, and it getting away from the old hymns and things, or whatever, and the changing the lyrics and things. It's making it more self-pleasure about the body, the dancing and, and, and it It's not—it it, it trying to soothe the demons. It's like. I told you Paul, I mean uh, Saul, Saul, uh, evil spirit was tormenting him and vexing him and David had to play music to soothe him. It says, music soothes the savage beast. Yes, yes. You go in the malls and different places, there's music playing. You have to ride with music. A lot of people just don't ride and think anymore. You have to have the music has to be going something to calm those inner demons in you. You can't just think and meditate on God's word, meditating on it day and night, but uh, you have to have the music of something drowning these things out because the joy of the Lord, the strength of his word, that's why it says sing songs and sing psalms and hymns and praise God but now it's not enough because you don't have the true joy, not the joy that God brings God brings a joy that's last it's the fruit of the spirit taking this view, Christians were struggling to grow and we can suppose that Paul began to see and teach this joy in a different light joy is more than just a warm fuzzy feeling It's a character trait tempered by fire. That's why James says count your trials as joy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That God's taking you through these things. That's why I say the suffering, the tribulation, these things in your marriage and all of the hard times instead of giving up and walking away, counted all joy because it's like Job. All of this was coming Job's way and Job had to learn. You remember I told you that I'm learning not to complain and murmuring. Job wanted to have a counsel with God. He wanted a discussion with God and the thing is we just have to learn to be content and do as Job says, the Lord give it and the Lord take it away. You see, it's a lesson in these things to be learned. God is doing something. And so, that's where our strength should lie. And in God, it says, it pleased God to bruise him. See, but because what his son suffered, it says, Jesus counted it joy for that that was laid before him, that suffering for the joy that it would reveal in the end. You see, Moses left the pleasures and the things of Egypt for this something else. He didn't even see these things, the end result. Abraham, he didn't see these things when he walked away from the world and his kindred and everything. It was a leap of faith on God's promises, on God's Word. That's what we should necessarily be feeding, counting it all joy testing is meaning is to prove we can conclude that God's testing process has the goal or aim of purging us of all impurities to make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So that's why we count it all joy when we fall into divers trials and temptations. That word divers means many different things. So when all of these things coming after us they're proving to make us better but God has a higher blessing for us the more suffering that we enter into his suffering that's why we count it all joy joy is emotion that makes life worth living and, 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 and this joy that God gives us we go through looking for that as David Saul chasing him all of these things going on. But Samuel had told him he was supposed to be killed. Saul was about to kill him. And then he got dejected. And he says, you know, one of these days Saul will kill me. And he went to the land of the Philistines. But just notice that one day David was king with an access of all of these things. But he forgot about God this temporary temporal moment with Bathsheba he's seen her bathing or whatever and with that sexual addiction you know some men love beautiful women David was one that loved beautiful women that sin was passed on to his son Solomon and he was enthralled he had 700 wives and 300 concubines because you remember Abigail was a beautiful woman Nabal's wife, David took her for wife or whatever. David had several different wives or whatever. We don't know how much love it was between him and Bathsheba because it was looked. He looked and lusted after her when he seen her bathed. It wasn't anything about her demeanor and her conversation and the character anything. He saw her from a distance. It's like Samson, he says, get her from me. I love her. She's pleasant. It's like them Moabites, those Moab, Moab women that they lusted after and they rose up to dance and drink. And Balaam had told them to bring these Moabite women in them and let them commit fornication or whoredoms. And in that day, 23,000 of them died for temporal pleasure. It's not the last. I wonder what was going on around the castle after this fleeing with Bathsheba. Because we see a whole year later when Nathan come in and give David this parable. He gives him this story about the man with this lamb. We said, see it was after this that David penned this song about the Lord. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation look at that psalm and it says the bones that you have broken we don't see anywhere because David was a type of Christ we don't see any bones being broken but it was a broken fellowship with God what caused you to leave the church why you're not coming to the services is it cause you sleep late on some of these mornings these afternoons are you too busy working two jobs are you too busy to come to prayer service? Are you not praying with God? That, that's what—that's the joy stealers is, is, is taking away time from God. Sin destroys your joy. Absenteeism from God destroys that joy. You can only be happy when you're in the will of God. Notice how good it feels to do good. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Don't you feel better doing things for other people than you would for people doing something for you? Yes. Jesus says, I come to minister to, not to be ministered to. Huh? Yes. I delight to do thy will. I come in the volume of the book it is written in me. So he was given to be a light unto the Gentiles. And he told Peter and them, Peter and them wanted to party in and, and enjoying the people was looking for him. He says, No, they trying to get with me and gathering around me because I fed them and healed them. But I came to preach the gospel. I came to preach the word. That was his meat to do the will of the Father. When you're doing for God, you don't feel any more better than that. The disciples were so enthralled, so exhausted that Jesus told them, come apart and rest a while, rest from your labors a while. Coming to a deserted place. That's why I say. He gives his people rest. That's what that Sabbath day is a symbol of. We see in that 56th chapter that we're going to do next week. Where it says. He that keepeth my Sabbath. keep it from polluting it or whatever. We see the Sabbath was made for man. If God specifically made something for me. I want to enjoy that. I don't want anything to impinge upon that. Not necessarily doing a good deed is that because that's why Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Didn't he heal on the Sabbath they was mad at him for healing on the Sabbath. But he was doing the will of God. So that's the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what empowers us. Pleasing God. Saints of God do the work of God. That's the true joy. Don't you feel good being right in the will of God? Amen. But if you like Adam and disobeyed God, the first Adam, he hid himself from God because he was naked. When you hadn't done what you're supposed to do, there's nothing more sorrowful of something that saps your joy away when you've done something wrong, when you've not done what you're supposed to do. You can't smile. You can't sit and rejoice. Because like I said, it's it's not just a feeling of emotion, but it, it's a sense of contentment. It's a sense. It's something of fruit that only God can explain that puts you at rest, that puts you at peace. When we come to God this way. So... That be balanced in life. In other words, I don't have to have a party every day. And a lot of people talk about their birthday and everything. Every day is my birthday. Rejoice in the Lord for this is the day the Lord had made. In eternity, every day would be, that's what they say, every day would be like Sundays. Every day would be the Sabbath. In other words, it's eternity with God. No time, no birth, anything. When we're eternal with God. We're looking. That's the joy. A consistent pleasing, a consistent contentment with what the Lord had done. How can I have a higher, higher? So it doesn't, you, I don't like surprises in things. I, 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 I don't like surprises. I tell people, don't surprise me or whatever. Because I don't like roller coasters up and down. I like consistency and well-balanced. I like an even keel. And that's what God's creating in our life, balance in our life. I'm happy to see my children happy, my grandchildren happy. I rejoice the more when I see other people happy, when I see people enjoying themselves. And that's what God is. He wants to see the best for us, and that's my joy. It's to see others rejoicing and, and see that we're walking in the will of God. Nothing pleasures me more than to see all of the people walking in the will of God. One day it's going to be that way. We're going to see trees of righteousness. We're going to see a, a, a nation that pleases God going into the house of worship with, with clear motives, clear intentions. That, that's that's going to be a joy that nobody, no man can take away. It's going to be peace. No more worrying because God's going to give us that peace and joy. What is no jealousy and envy in it? What a blessed joy that would be. Amen. That's the fruit of the Spirit that I'm laboring to bring about. Yes. Heavenly Fathers, we come up for you this day, Lord God, thinking of the joy that you bring about through your righteousness Lord God by eating of your fruit Lord God eating of the table that you invite us to that wedding supper of the lamb where we come and buy without money but it's going to be the sacrifice of our lives Lord God it's going to cost us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow after you Lord God that we're not seeking our own pleasure Lord God but seeking the betterment for all others, Lord God, looking unto Jesus to Author and to finish our faith, that he's first in our lives, Lord God, and that true pleasure is derived from serving you, from entering into the house of the Lord. And in Jesus' name,